Africa rise and shine Africa zorza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN envoy expresses concerns over security situation in Central Africa, and South Africa vows to use its UN Security Council seat to broker peace across the world. In economics news, UAE to give Ethiopia 3 billion dollars in aid and investment, and in sports news, Argentina held to a draw by World Cup debutants Iceland. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Suspected Boko Haram jihadists using young girls as suicide bombers have killed 31 people in an attack on a town in northeast Nigeria. Blasts ripped through the town of Dambowa in Borno State on Saturday evening, targeting people returning from celebrating the Eid al-Fitr holiday. Following the suicide bombings, the jihadists fired rocket-propelled grenades into the crowds that had gathered at the scene of the attacks. Meanwhile, Nigeria's army chief has called on people displaced by the conflict in the northeast of the country to return to their communities, saying they are no longer in danger of being attacked by militants. The BBC's Will Ross has more. Despite the ongoing threat of suicide bombings, the security situation in northeast Nigeria has improved. The military has made the roads safer and there have been fewer Boko Haram attacks on villages. With the rainy season now underway, people will be desperate to escape the squalid conditions where they've been forced to live and to return to their homes and farmland. But there will also be some skepticism. Previous promises that it was safe because the jihadists had been defeated proved to be premature. The 630 migrants whose rescue sparked a major migration row in Europe have arrived in the Spanish port of Valencia. The Aquarius, which has been at the center of the crisis, sailed into Valencia with 106 migrants on board to applause from police, health workers and translators. The remaining migrants arrived on an Italian coast guard ship and an Italian navy vessel. Padre Radon from the Red Cross in Spain explains what ex- assistance has been prepared for the migrants. They will receive comfort, as we call it. This comfort includes hygiene kits, food kits, kits with everything necessary to make them feel comfortable after weeks of hardship, chaos and need. 
In the United States, members of the Congress are visiting a detention center close to the Mexican border where migrant children are being held. The opposition politicians are on a fact-finding mission to investigate the practice of separating parents and the children who illegally cross into the U.S., the BBC's Chris Buckler reports. President Trump has introduced a zero-tolerance policy that means everyone found to be illegally crossing the border between Mexico and the U.S. is detained and prosecuted. In practice, that's leading to parents and children being separated in order to be held in different facilities. With the White House under growing political pressure over these so-called family separations, opposition politicians are visiting the border to inspect various sites, including a converted supermarket in Texas that is now being used to house 1,500 migrant children. And finally, the Saudi-led coalition has reportedly carried out airstrikes on the airport that serves the Yemeni port of Hodeida, which is held by Houthi rebels. The Saudis are backing a Yemeni government offensive that aims to capture Hodeida. Meanwhile, the United Nations ambassador to Yemen has held a second day of talks in the capital, Sanaa, to secure a rebel withdrawal from the port, which is vital to the flow of aid supplies. The UN's humanitarian court... Ordinator Lisa Grande says a resolution is urgently needed. There's no humanitarian solution to this crisis. There is only a political one, and that's why our special envoy is engaged with everyone trying to reach an understanding. I think everyone recognizes that the humanitarian cost of this war has been enormous. There is no other country in the world where 75% of the entire population depends on assistance in order to survive. That's because of the war, and that's the reason the war has to stop now. And that's the news in Lanza at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The United Nations Special Representative for Central Africa, Francois Fall, says Uganda's Lord's Resistance Army is still active in the Central African Republic, while Nigeria's Boko Haram has stepped up its attacks in Cameroon. Our correspondent, James Shimangula, has just returned to his base in Nairobi from the Central African Republic and sent us this report. Central African Republic is east of the West African nation of Cameroon. The two countries are southwest of Nigeria. Uganda's Lord's Resistance Army, in short LRA, is now very active in the Central African Republic where its fighters sought refuge in forests after fleeing Uganda and South Sudan where they were pursued by the Ugandan army. Major hunt for LRA by Ugandan troops assisted by foreign forces have failed to trace the whereabouts of LRA leader Joseph Kony and his fighters. Intelligence military sources in the Central African Republic say Kony is in deep forests of the country. However, his fighters have been leaving the forest at night to carry out attacks on villages where they kill people after looting their property. Once such attacks occur, intelligence sources say Kony's fighters retreat to their hideout in the forests, 
West of the Central African Republic is the West African country of Cameroon, which has been infiltrated by Nigeria's jihadists known as Boko Haram. This is how François Fall, United Nations Special Representative to the Central African Republic, described deadly activities carried out there by Uganda's Lord's Resistance Army, LRA and the continued carnage in Cameroon caused by Nigeria's Boko Haram. Boko Haram and the Lord Residence Army have not stopped their deadly attack on civilians, committing egregious human rights abuses and causing countless victims. The scores of terrorism and violent extremism continues to affect populations of the sub-region, and divert government resources from much-needed development programs to costly security operations. Decrying activities of Boko Haram in Cameroon, François Fall made the following terse remarks. L'escalade de la violence et des tensions dans les régions du nord-ouest et du sud-ouest du Cameroon, qui est également toujours affectée par les activités de Boko Haram. The escalation of violence and the tensions in the northwest and southwest of Cameroon, which is also affected by the activities of Boko Haram, and the impact of the crisis in the Central African Republic, continues to be a major concern. Est une source de préoccupation majeure. Plus de 20 000 réfugiés camerounais ont déjà été enregistrés de l'autre côté de la frontière avec le Nigeria. Over 20,000 Cameroonian refugees have been recorded on the other side of the border with Nigeria and need help et ont un besoin d'assistance pointing out that the crisis in the Central African Republic CAR continues to have negative impact on the situation in the sub-region especially in the neighboring countries where there are many refugees the United Nations special representative in Central Africa François Fall said I call on the countries of the region to more actively participate in the African initiative both on the political and financial basis à l'initiative africaine tant politiquement que financièrement j'encourage aussi fortement les autorités centrafricaines et les pays voisins à accélérer le processus de mise en place des commissions mixtes de coopération I also strongly encourage Central African authorities in neighboring countries to speed up the process of setting up a joint commission which will deal with the issues such as border control and transhumanism qui pourrait traiter des questions telles que le contrôle des frontières et la transhumance. Je continuerai de concentrer mes efforts sur la mobilisation de soutien. I also will continue to focus my effort on mobilizing the African initiative. À l'initiative africaine. That was François Fall, United Nations Special Representative to the Central African Republic. Since Boko Haram jihadists took up arms in 2009 in Nigeria, they have killed more than 20,000 people. The militant group opposed to Western influence is seeking an Islamic state based on Sharia law. At present, Nigeria, its neighbors Cameroon, Chad, Niger, and the Central African Republic further east of those countries are carrying out a joint military operation to wipe out Boko Haram. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. 
For feedback and questions relating to our show, tweet us at Channel Africa 1 or at Shine Africa. Email us at info at channelafrica.org or send a WhatsApp message on 277-6300327. Channel Africa, the African perspective. South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Corporations, Lindiwe Sisulu, says South Africa is committed to using the UN Security Council seat to broker peace across the world, including the Middle East. Yesterday, she visited the Grace Bible Church in Soweto, where she highlighted the country's commitment in enhancing the African Union mandate to mediation of peace amongst warring nations. She was accompanied by the ambassadors of China, Ling Song Tian and Martin Schaefer, who represents Germany in South Africa. Abongile Dumako reports. International Relations and Cooperation Minister Lindiwe Sisulu's visit to Grace Bible Church follows a historic summit between the U.S. President Donald Trump and his North Korean Republic counterpart Kim Jong-un. The summit came as a relief to the diplomatic world. Now, Sisulu says she wishes to see other countries being included in similar pacts to stop the threats of nuclear weapons. It's a good sign that uh, we are now beginning to deal with the issue of how to uh, tackle countries that are amassing uh, nuclear weapons and we're very concerned about it. And we're hoping that the same can be done in equal, in the, in the same way that it was done to North and South Korea, to other countries such as Iran. Sisulu says South Africa is ready to resume her role as a peace broker. After winning the UN Security Council seat last week, the country is now ready to strive for world peace, including Middle East between Israel and Palestine. This is what we stood at the UN Security Council for, that here we are, we want to honor Madiba by ensuring that there is peace across the world. Um, the AU has taken a decision which is almost binding, a resolution almost binding on all of us to the extent that it is possible to silence all the guns by 2020 and we would like to see that happening in our lifetime. Meanwhile, the German ambassador to South Africa, Martin Schaffer, says Berlin will cooperate with Pretoria at the UN Security Council to push for world peace. The fact that South Africa and Germany have been elected both with overwhelming majorities just about a week ago to serve once again on the Security Council of the United Nations I think is a big opportunity exactly for that because the new foreign policy as I understand it from South Africa coincides with our vision, a vision of a continent that is able and willing to solve its own peace and security problems. In Soweto, Sisulu was joined by the Chinese ambassador Ling Songxian, who offered 60 scholarships to the South African youth to study for their master's degree in his homeland. The number of bursaries may be expanded. He says this seeks to further strengthen ties between the two countries. I am here just to show our commitment. We are ready to fight together for the use for the future of the country. Their visit at Grace Bible Church was widely welcomed by leader Bishop Musa Sono. He says it's for these leaders in society that South Africa continues to prosper and be an inspiration to other African countries. The good thing is that they are not actually uh, uh, fussy about which qualification they have. And, and I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. And, and, you know, we believe our young people will take that up. South Africa and China are both hoping for a resolution in the North Korean Peninsula, which will see peace and security spreading across the world. 
I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. Going back in time to today in 1979, former South African Minister of Labour and a moderate member of the National Party, Marefel Yun, was inaugurated as South Africa's fifth state president after he had been elected on the 4th of June in 1979. Today in history in 1979. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president. Nelson Kholisasa Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. The unemployed South African youth will no longer need minimal work experience for them to get jobs as previously expected. This is according to President Sil Ramaphosa. In his address at the Youth Day commemorative event this past Saturday, Ramaphosa criticized the state of joblessness, saying unemployed graduates are a wasted resource for the country. He said both the public and private sector have a shared responsibility to develop pathways for young people into work. This report. I think the main problem that we are facing is with this work. And they, I think they have to do something about that. Because they will tell you that they need someone with 10 years experience or it's from school. I think uh, work experience shouldn't be like a major thing because there's a lot of people that are educated but are not hired or don't have jobs and stuff because of the experience thing. You have to volunteer, you know. They're just making it impossible for us. Experience shouldn't be a thing. A call made to government to address the challenges of youth unemployment. A request to remove experience as a prerequisite for employment. The market has been such that it requires basic experience for the jobless to be employed, failure of which reduces the chances of entry into the market. In response to the thousands of hopeless unemployed graduates, President Ramaphosa says government knows the frustrations of the youth and that it is time this requirement is done away with, urging both public and the private sector to employ the graduates regardless of the experience they possess. On this Youth Day, we therefore call on all companies in our country, both in the public and the private sector, to make deliberate efforts to seek out unemployed graduates and employ them. And we say, companies, go and find those unemployed graduates. It is not a big burden on individual companies, but if taken up on a large scale, such a call could significantly reduce youth unemployment while bringing much-needed skills and capacity into the economy. 
Employers must understand that for our country to succeed, for their businesses to thrive, they must take responsibility for providing young people with the work experience they need. So our graduates must be employed without having this added requirement of experience because experience has become a barrier to employing young people. I agree that this requirement of experience must be put aside. The president also urged the youth to become agents of their own liberation, saying that their challenges can be overcome, also making a call for them to lead safer and healthier lifestyles. Young people now have a responsibility to make full use of the educational opportunities available because young people need to realize that as they have rights, they also have responsibilities. And one of their key responsibilities is to take advantage of the educational opportunities that are available. The challenges that our youth face are great, but they are not insurmountable. This means that they must not indulge or engage in alcohol and drug abuse. They must not participate in crime and corruption. Young people must keep themselves safe from HIV by using condoms, abstaining from early sexual activity, and being tested regularly. In many ways more than song, the commemorative event also honored the struggle heroes who fought for freedom in the country. That report by Komosomo Pulani. Economic freedom fighters leader Julius Malema has urged South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa to pardon all young people still facing criminal charges for participating in the protest for free education in 2015. Speaking at a packed Matlosana Stadium in Clarksdorp, where the party celebrated Youth Day, Malema urged all higher education institutions to give amnesty to students who had been expelled or facing disciplinary hearings for participating in the protest. Lucas Motibedi reports. Thousands of EFF members, mostly youth, clad in their red regalium, packed the Matosana Stadium singing struggle songs. The township of Jobetan is plagued by gangsterism, high unemployment, and alcohol and drug abuse, which mostly affect the youth. Who left? Who right? Who was Who left? Arriving to Rapture's applause, EFF leader Julius Malema urged the youth to rise above the challenges and focus on attaining their goals. 
Malema told hundreds of his supporters that to honor the youth of 1976 who fought the Bantu education system, the student who campaigned for free education in 2015 also deserve to be applauded and honored. We must never forget that 2015 generation. Many children who led the struggles of free education, some of them are still in prison today. They are locked up. They are no longer in the universities. We say to Ramaphosa, give all this generation of 2015 an amnesty. Release them from prison. Allow them back into the universities. Malema says the only way to ensure the future of the youth is through education. He cautioned communities against banning infrastructure, especially schools, when protesting service delivery challenges. Hector Peterson, Wallah, what happened to these people that I died for? Did I die for them to drown in alcohol and drugs? How do we honor our fallen heroes? You used June 16 to turn around your life. Some of the young people who attended the event say the day is still worth celebrating despite all these challenges. She says they are facing problems such as crime, poverty, and goes on to say when Julius Malema takes government in 2019, he hopes that he will change everything that is happening here. Meanwhile, Malema says any party member who are found abusing women and children will be expelled. Lugas Motibedi, Matosana Stadium, Lexdop in Northwest. Today in 1986, the U.S. House of Representatives approved a bill that would impose stricter sanctions against apartheid South Africa. This was in response to international and local outcry against the ex- excesses of the apartheid government then led by P.W. Borta. This bill would compel 284 American firms to leave South Africa within 180 days of its proclamation. Today in history... 1986. Efforts are underway to ensure South Africa has a responsible intelligence department with a mandate in line with the Constitution. On Friday, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced the appointment of a high-level review panel to assess the mandate capacity and organizational integrity of a state security agency. The 10-member panel is to be chaired by former South Africa Safety and Security Minister Sidney Mufamadi and is expected to conclude its work within three months. Ramaphosa has also announced former Minister of Defence Charles Ngakula as his national security adviser. Busi Chimombe reports. The replacement of State Security Minister Bongani Bongo by Tipoele Tsatsituba under the new Ramaphosa administration and abrupt transfer of the SSA's Director General Arthur Fraser to Correctional Services in April were indications that a process of renewal was about to get underway within the country's intelligence services. The decision to review the SSA is a long time coming, 10 years after inquiry into the intelligence services, known as the Matthews Commission, revealed politicization, abuse of process and lack of accountability by the country's intelligence. The most recent example of this was the intelligence report that few have seen, that claimed that then-Finance Minister Praveen Gordon and his deputy were plotting against President Zuma and were cited as behind the decision to fire them in March last year. Gareth Newham of the Institute for Security Studies says that such a probe 
is long overdue. There has been uh, a number of high-profile reports showing or arguing or alleging that uh, our state security agency and the service components are not operating as they should, that they have been involved in irregular or not illegal activities. And uh, we know from as far back as the Matthews report, where there was a commission of inquiry into intelligence in 2008, that there were profound problems facing our national intelligence. And from all accounts, these problems have worsened under the presidency of Jacob Zuma. The mid-2000s, in the run-up to the ANC's Bulukwana National Conference, saw the country's intelligence agencies in the media for the wrong reasons. These included the hoax email scandal, which saw the fabrication of emails that purported to implicate senior government and ANC officials in a plot to sideline former Deputy President Jacob Zuma in his bid for the presidency. There was also the Browsemore Report, authored by the Scorpions, allegedly with the assistance of intelligence operatives, outlining evidence that the Angolan intelligence establishment planned covertly to support Zuma. The leaking of phone taps by spy agencies also led to the initial dropping of corruption charges against Zuma related to the so-called arms deal. NGO, the Right to Know campaign, has urged that a review panel into the state security agency address the issue of holding the SSA accountable to avoid it being used in political battles. Spokesperson for R2K, Murray Hunter. You've established a watchdog, but you haven't given it uh, the powers it needs to actually um, act as a watchdog. And this has allowed um, many situations where uh, wrongdoing is alleged or in some cases is found to, be, to have been done within state security, at a, a, whether it's at the, you know, a lower level or even at the, at the levels of leadership like what we saw with Arthur Fraser. And nothing is done. Yeah, and I think that is a real concern. So we want to see those oversight bodies really strengthened and given a lot more power, but also being made to be transparent. Newham says much needs to be done to reflect on the role of the SSA, its structures and functions, and if in fact it is delivering value for money. I don't think we require a state security agency quite as large as we have. Uh, it's been reported that its budget is many billions of rands, possibly as much as four billion rand. And we certainly don't see the benefits of that. Uh, we have seen a dramatic increase in violent organized crime and other forms of organized crime over the last five to six years. And if we had a functioning and effective state security agency using its resources only to protect the interests and the constitutional orders of Africa, then we would not see that level of increase in transnational and violent organized crime. It is unclear when the terms of reference of the panel will be made public by its chairperson, Sidney Mfamadi. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, eight Kenyan police officials have been killed in the eastern part of the country after the vehicle hit an improvised explosive device planted by Somalia's Al-Shabaab militant group. 
Suspected Boko Haram jihadists using young girls as suicide bombers have killed 31 people in an attack on a town in northeast Nigeria. And the Saudi-led coalition has reportedly carried out airstrikes on the airport that serves the Yemeni port of Odeida, which is held by Houthi rebels. Those are the stories making headlines. Going back in time to today, in the year 2000, Ethiopia and Eritrea agreed to cease hostilities immediately in a two-year-old border war that killed wounded and displaced thousands. Today in history, in the year 2000. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Municipal entities of the DA-led city of Johannesburg face an imminent total shutdown. South African Municipal Workers Union, SAMU, is threatening to go on a full-blown strike soon. SAMU says the planned strike is to what it says is a financial crisis facing the city and the billing crisis, among others. SAMU is affiliated to Trade Union Federation Kosatu, which is part of South Africa's ruling ANC's tripartite alliance. Horisani Sitole has more. Samu has warned it will bring the entire Johannes back to its knees. The municipal union claims the city of Joburg is in a serious financial crisis. Some reports suggest the metro is cash-strapped and will need to be bailed out. Samu, however, could not provide evidence to support their claim that the city is facing a financial crisis. Samu is affiliated to Kosatu, which is part of the ANC's tripartite alliance. Regional Secretary Bafana Zungu. Samu is saying enough is enough. So there are issues that affect the city as a whole. One will note that as workers and also as citizens within Johannesburg, we are affected by the issues that are happening within the city. COJ workers and the public at large is organizing <coughs> to revolt against the current management. Samu has also expressed concern over what it says it's the recurring billing crisis. Last month, Johannesburg Finance MMC Funzelango Beni considered during his budget speech that breaking the back of the billing crisis has proven to be complex with technical and system failures, but that they were turning the corner. He says they were now issuing clear and accurate invoices. The billing crisis has been there even when the ANC was governing the city, but Zuma believes the matter is getting worse. It's worsening just to cover it as such. It's worsening. And as such, we have had the mayor himself saying the city is borrowing money. And this city has never been in that situation. The city of Joburg has rejected claims that it's in financial crisis and it has also rubbish corruption claims. 
Mayor Hemen Mashaba spokesperson Leandam Fega says to date the city's group forensic investigation services has investigated over 3,500 cases involving 18 billion rand in fraud, corruption and maladministration and over 700 people have been arrested. He says if someone was truly interested in fighting corruption and saving residents of the city, they would applaud this action. He says they received no notice of the union's intention to go on strike. For SABC News, Amor Sanisitole. Liberty Management says no customers appear to have suffered financial loss from the data breach after hackers attacked their computers and demanded cash. Liberty says all customer data is still safe and that its policies and contracts remain in force. The South African-based financial services company says it remains in full control of its IT systems. Liberty says mainly emails and attachments were affected by the hack. It says protection of customer details was prioritized and authorities alerted on Thursday when the hack was uncovered. Amina Akram reports. David Monroe is CEO of Liberty. He says they're in the middle of a criminal investigation and it would not be appropriate to share sensitive information at this stage. However, the group says they have gone to extreme lengths to secure their IT infrastructure to make sure their customer data is secured. We can confirm that Liberty has been subject to illegal and unauthorized access to our IT infrastructure. An external party has taken data from us and has demanded payment. We were alerted to this very late on Thursday evening. We immediately convened a team of specialists, which included IT specialists and security specialists, to investigate the incident, prioritizing the protection of our customers' details and our systems. We also alerted the relevant Authorities. Liberty says customers were alerted via emails and SMSs as soon as they found out about the breach. They also assembled a huge team of IT and security specialists with world-class knowledge of hacking. The team is currently working around the clock to resolve the crisis. The safety and security of our customers' information is and remains our top priority. We can confirm that we are in full control of our IT environment. We did engage with the external parties to determine their intentions and we made no concessions in the face of this attempted extortion. So far, it seems to be largely emails and possibly attachments. To be clear, at this stage, there is no evidence that any of our customers have suffered any financial loss. We will proactively inform our customers individually if and when we discover that they may have been impacted. Munroes explained why it took them 36 hours to notify customers of the breach. Event like this um, is not something that one can prepare for specifically. Of course, you prepare for them generally. We have disaster recovery plans and crisis management uh, plans in place. And so this emerged late on Thursday evening and it really did take us a couple of days to get to the point where we felt that we should inform customers. These are complex matters that um, are often difficult to understand and the uh, authenticity of the allegations have to be verified before 
you go into the public domain. So we took our time, we felt we acted responsibly. The group is also encouraging customers to contact Liberty directly or their financial advisors if they suspect any illegal activities on the investments or funds. Liberty is currently trying to identify the extent of the data that has been taken. The breach is limited to the group's insurance operations and has not affected its asset management division. I am Amina Akram in Johannesburg. Ticket sales for the World Cup tournament in Russia are notably lower in the United Kingdom than previous events as England fans fear they will be the target of Russian hooligans as was the case at the Euro Championships in France in 2016. There are also concerns that British fans of colour and LGBT travellers could face prejudice or violence in Russia, concerns which come as the United Kingdom-Russian relations are at their lowest point in decades following the poisoning of a former Russian spy in Britain. Paul Barber reports from London. Russian hooligans known as ultras clashed with police in Bilbao, Spain earlier this year. Many England fans remember all too well the violence committed against them by ultras at the Euro 2016 finals in France. Despite reassurance from Russian police that the World Cup will be safe, England supporters have been put off, with far fewer tickets sold than previous tournaments. Our youngest son went to uh, the 2016 Euros and uh, he was in Marseille when the Russian fans attacked the English fans. Um, So you have to be just very careful. I think the Euros last time... You saw some of the fighting going on in the in the stadiums, and that's quite scary. Outside Wembley Stadium, the home of English football, there are also concerns about potential dangers for gay travellers and those from ethnic minority backgrounds, amid warnings from human rights groups about instances of discrimination in Russia. It's a very violent place for black people, so... But, I don't know. If I feel safe, I will go. Uh, it's just the image of Russia. I'm not sure we are gay. I'm not sure we're going to feel comfortable there. Manan Shah runs a travel agency specialising in packages for big sports events. He says up to 200 fewer clients are going to Russia compared to the Brazil World Cup. Being of South Asian heritage and having taken his wife and son to Russia ahead of the tournament, Manan thinks people's fears are misplaced. We encountered zero racism out there. Um, we actually found people that will, who communicated with us quite well and were very helpful as well. But... The organisation, the travelling around under the underground, the local trains, was fantastic. Russia has deployed thousands of police to the 11 host cities to deal with potentially rowdy fans and other security threats. The 32 participating countries have also sent officers to help Russian police spot troublemakers. Crime experts also say efforts including a fan identity system means serious English hooligans will be prevented from travelling to Russia. The British police is so highly efficient that real hooligans will never go to Russia. So the attack will be actually on rowdy fans, and, and which they will be portrayed as a hooligan. But many of the real hooligans, I don't think they will ever go to Russia. Russia seems determined to host a World Cup that passes off peacefully. But for England fans, safety is their greatest priority. And for many, it just simply isn't worth the risk of going. Paul Barber in London. The Rainforest Rescue has embarked on a campaign to ask people around the world to tell the European Union to drop its future biofuels policy. Palm oil plantations, one of the main drivers of rainforest destruction, are eating their way deeper into rainforest in Southeast Asia 
and other areas of the globe, such as Latin America and Africa. For more on this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Klaus Schenk, campaigner of forest and energy at Rainforest Rescue. Yes, the problem is that the people in Europe, in the European Union, they need a lot of energy. We have a very high demand of energy, and now we have this plans policies to protect the climate and to search for alternatives, which it is the right way. But most of the renewable energy which is produced in Europe is biomass. It means timber from the forest and also for, and when we are speaking about cars, biofuels which are all produced from food and from food crops like plant oils, palm oil, soy oil, rapeseed oil, or as we talk about ethanol, which is for gasoline cars, we are talking about and corn, about wheat and other crops. So huge millions of tons of food crops are burned every year in the cars to be used in Europe. And this is a very big problem because it has a huge on the food prices on the world, and this is for poor people, especially in the global south problem. And also to produce all this food, you need food crops for biofuels, you need a lot of land. That was Klaus Schenk, a campaigner with Rainforest Rescue on the line from Hamburg, Germany, speaking to Wandile Kalipa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. The United Arab Emirates has pledged a total of 3 billion US dollars in aid and investments to Ethiopia. The UAE will deposit 1 billion dollars in Ethiopia's central bank to ease a severe foreign currency shortage. The UAE and its Gulf allies, in particular Saudi Arabia, regularly give large sums to cooperative governments in the broader region. In 2013, the UAE was one of three Gulf monarchies that pledged a total $12 billion to Egypt's new government after the military ousted President Mohamed Morsi from the Muslim Brotherhood. South Africa plans to raise a black ownership at a permit-holding mining companies to 30% from 26% within five years. This according to the latest hotly contested new industry charter. The draft charter extends to five years from one year at the time that existing mining permit holders will have to meet the new black ownership requirement. The government and miners had been at loggerheads over a previous version of the charter. Customers of South Africa's financial services and property holding company Liberty Life have been reassured that their personal information and funds are safe. This after Liberty announced on Friday that they had been hacked and that the hackers were demanding money. The group held a press briefing where they told the media that customers' information and finances were secure. CEO David Monroe says they are in the middle of a criminal investigation and have gone to extreme lengths to secure their IT infrastructure to make sure that customer base is secure. Amina Akram reports. Liberty says customers were alerted via emails and SMSs as soon as they found out about the breach. 
They also assembled a huge team of IT and security specialists with world-class knowledge of hacking. The team is currently working around the clock to resolve the crisis. Trade unions of different sectors in Lesotho intend to demonstrate and petition Prime Minister Tom Tabane over what they call the poor and unprofessional handling of their minimum wage grievances. An alliance of eight trade unions told a press briefing that they have already applied to the police for permission to hold a procession on June the 25th over their unaddressed grievances. Labor and Employment Minister Kekezo Ransu will also be petitioned along with the Parliament. The workers say the minimum wage is not a living wage. A German court has ruled that investors are pushing for damages over a sharp fall in the Volkswagen shares after the car maker disclosed emissions cheating in 2015 can also seek redress from majority shareholder Posh SE. Investors from around the world have launched lawsuits at a regional court in Braunwick seeking around 10.4 billion US dollars in damages from Volkswagen which they said did not inform stakeholders uh, quickly enough at a regional quick enough at a regional court near VW's Volkswagen headquarters in Decker. The US dollar trades at 1015 Botswana Pula. It's at 993 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 372 Brazilian real, at 6310 Russian ruble, and at 683 Indian rupee, 643 Chinese yuan, 1340 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound, 86 cents to the euro. Gold 1,000, $280. A platinum, $890 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $73.83 a barrel. I'm Tabisolo Hoku and you're listening to Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lungwati. First up in our sports update this hour, it's World Cup in Russia. Iceland's Dream World Cup debut may have gotten them a point against two-time champions Argentina, but Aaron Gunnarsson and his teammates are already putting that result behind them as they move on to the challenge of Nigeria. The resilient islanders show their iron will once again come back from a goal down to draw one all with an Argentina side led by Lionel Messi and teaming with household names. Iceland midfielder and captain Aaron Gunnarsson has more. If you stand by and, 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 and idolise him, he's going to go past you and he's going to score so, and he's going to take advantage of that. So you can't really, st- you can't really do that. So, um, it's just important to respect the guy and, 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 and uh, play your normal football. Coach Hemi Halim Grimson echoed Gunnarsson's desire to move on from their brilliant World Cup debut as quickly as possible. We're in the game, at least. We're in the game, so that, that was uh, the plan, to, to be in the fight. But this group is going to be decided uh, in the last minutes, in the last game. It's going to be down to some margins, set piece, uh, extra time goal, whatever. So this is how this group is going to be played. 
Croatia beat Nigeria 2-0 in Saturday's other Group D game and they topped the group on three points, with Argentina and Iceland on a point apiece. In hockey news, South African hockey umpire Aiden Shrives has been awarded an international badge in both indoor and outdoor hockey, the highest grades in both versions hockey umpiring. The Marisbe College All Boys hail from Guazunatal province and says his exploits in the game began 15 years ago after having previously played the game. Jeff, yeah, I started uh, umpiring in the early days, probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I first started playing hockey. Um, and uh, both playing international hockey, and uh, I basically fitted it in when I could. Um, so I progressed through the normal ranks with regards to um, the provincial level, and then uh, I eventually, yeah, got my first internationals. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, fortunate enough to both uh, have my indoor and outdoor international badge. Shrives in another milestone earlier this year became the first person ever to have previously played in a World Cup and go on to be an umpire during the International Federation of Hockey, the FIH, Indoor World Cup in Berlin. And then what was quite uh, joyous about getting my international indoor badge is uh, I played in the, um, the last World Cup hosted in Leipzig, Germany. And this year, I was fortunate enough to umpire in the World Cup in Berlin. So, yeah, quite happy, quite happy with myself. Um, and yeah, I think uh, my career is growing uh, bit by bit. And finally, Roger Federer celebrated returning to the top of the world rankings by defeating Milos Raonic in the final of the Stuttgart Open and lifting the 98th tour level title of his uh, gallant career. A 36-year-old who, by reaching the final, had already guaranteed his return to world number one, supplanting Rafael Nadal when the new rankings are released. Continued his domination over the Canadian with a 6-4, 7-6 victory. Federal's 78th-minute win, sealing his first Stuttgart triumph, was the perfect tonic for the Swiss in the build-up to the defending of his Wimbledon crown, having extended his unbeaten 12-month sequence in grass court matches to 16. And that's your sport news this hour. Before you go, who between you and Mario spoke about Iceland? That that's the team to watch. Ah, it's me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can. I, I remind you, I spoke about uh, Argentina, Argentina, I spoke about Brazil, Brazil, I spoke about Belgium, and I spoke about Iceland. Okay, yeah. Argentina and Brazil. Disappointing. Decided, yeah, well, Brazil, Argentina, I did not watch Argentina. I was away, but uh, when I... I watched I, Argentina. Yeah. I felt so... I, I felt such pain for Messi. He wanted that goal. Mm-hmm. He really... But yeah, he was... I, they I were blocking I, I, him from all directions. I can't say directions. anything because I was told by people. I don't know. Mm. You know, sometimes you become so attached to a person you don't even see if he played well or he was marked. But Brazil played very well. They Brazil relaxed, played well, yes. And then they took like Switzerland is not the footballing country, and then they, they equalized. No, but I can, I can tell you that uh, Messi was marked. Yeah, he was. He was marked. So Mario, he, was yeah. he marked? He was marked. Yeah, so... He, he tried from all angles, yeah. and there was always people around him. So he has to work on that, because Maradona in 1986 in Mexico, he, he, he searched and said, oh, okay, they do this, I have to change my strategy. So, and Maradona was there, and he was wearing Messi's number 10 jersey. Yeah, well, it's his number 10. Oh, oh yes, oh yes, it is. Well, <laughs> Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. 
Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. UN envoy expresses concerns over security situation in Central Africa and South Africa vows to use its UN Security Council seat to broker peace across the world. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzara Magadza and Komuzo Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Donald featuring Tiwa Savage with a song titled Raindrops.